0: learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His word. So in college, I wrote a musical based on the story of Ruth from the Bible, uh, which I revived here at Tikfod about 10 years ago. And uh, would you like to hear a little bit of it? Okay, this is an excerpt from a song uh, that Boaz sings uh, about Ruth, and uh, if you're if you're not excited about it, that's too bad because this is the opening of the sermon. So this is what we this is what we got. Them's the breaks. All right, here we go. <clears throat> it's kind of a rock song, and I don't have a piano up here, so I'll do my best. Maybe we could do a little clapping. There we go. She <clears throat> don't know Jewish law. Never been to a bris. A bris a bris a bris that's your part i hope someday to give her a big old kiss a kiss a kiss a kiss her love is the water that overflows the nile look out now she's a righteous gentile all right that was fun Yes, that was about the righteous Gentile, uh, Ruth, and uh, Boaz was singing, uh, singing about her. And uh, yeah, it kind of goes on um, very similar to that. Speaking of righteous Gentiles, another such woman was known as Corrie Ten Boom. This, here's a quote about her from the Holocaust Encyclopedia Online, published by the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, DC. Quote. For her efforts to hide Jews from arrest and deportation during the German occupation of the Netherlands, Corrie ten Boom, 1892 to 1983, received recognition from the Yad Vashem Remembrance Authority, that's the um, Holocaust Museum in Israel, as one of the quote, righteous among the nations on December 12th, 1967. In resisting Nazi persecution, Ten Boom acted in concert with her religious beliefs, her family experience and the Dutch resistance. Her defiance led to imprisonment, internment in the concentration camp and loss of family members who died from maltreatment while in German custody. The Ten Boom family were members of the Dutch reformed church which protested Nazi persecution of Jews as an injustice to fellow human beings and an affront to divine authority. Uh, In her autobiography, Ten Boom repeatedly cited religious motivations for hiding Jews, particularly her family's strong belief in a basic tenet of their religion, the equality of all human beings before God. Their religious activities had also brought the family a history of personal connections to the Jewish community. Corey's grandfather had supported efforts to improve Christian Jewish relations in the 19th century. Her brother Willem, a Dutch reform minister assigned to convert Jews or share, you know, share the gospel with, with Jewish people, studied anti-Semitism and ran a nursing home for elderly of all faiths. In the late 1930s, that nursing home became a refuge for Jews fleeing from Germany. After World War II began, members of the Ten Boom family became involved in resistance efforts. Two nephews worked in resistance cells. Various family members sheltered young men sought by the Nazis for forced labor and assisted Jews in contacting persons willing to hide them. Corey became directly involved with these efforts when, along with her father and sister Betsy, she decided to hide Jews in the family home in Harlem. That's Harlem with two A's, uh, the one in the Netherlands. Using her job as a watchmaker in her father's shop as a cover, Corey built contacts with resistance workers who assisted her in procuring ration books and building a hiding place in the family home. That's what her book is called, The Hiding Place. Six people, among them both Jews and resistance workers, hid in this hiding place when the Gestapo, the German secret state police, raided the house on February 28, 1944. Those in hiding remained undiscovered. Several days after the raid, resistance workers transferred them to other locations. In the meantime, however, the Gestapo had arrested Corey Ten Boom, her father, her brother, and two sisters, and other family members. In addition, the Gestapo arrested several resistance workers who had unwittingly entered the house during the raid, as well as many family acquaintances who had been attending a prayer meeting in the living room. Altogether, the Gestapo arrested some 30 people in the Ten Boom family home that day. After holding them briefly in the penitentiary in uh, scheveningen I can't say that, a seaside town close to The Hague, the Gestapo re- released all but three of the Ten Boom family members. Corrie Ten Boom, her older sister Betsy, and her father Casper remained in prison. Casper Ten Boom became sick in prison and died in a hospital corridor only 10 days after the arrest. The sisters remained in the uh, Scheveningen prison until June 1944, when officials transferred them to an internment camp at Vought in the Netherlands. In September 1944, the Nazis deported Corrie and Betsy Ten Boom to the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany. In Ravensbrück, the sisters managed to stay together until Betsy died that December. The camp administration released Cory Tenboom in late December 1944. Along with other released prisoners, she traveled by train to Berlin, where she arrived on January 1, 1945. From Berlin, Tenboom journeyed across Germany by train until she reached the Netherlands, where she reunited with surviving members of her family. After the war, Ten Boom advocated reconciliation as a means for overcoming the psychological scars left by Nazi occupation. She later traveled the world as an evangelist, motivational speaker, and social critic, referring to her experiences in Ravensbrück as she'd offered solace to prisoners and protested the Vietnam War, unquote. What a remarkable woman, right? Right. It's amazing. Corey has a tree at Yad Vashem, uh, the Holocaust Museum in Israel, which is on the avenue of the righteous among the nations. What's powerful about her story to me is that because of her faith in Yeshua, she identifies with the suffering of people that are different from her, right? Willing to go through even what they are going through. She goes through tremendous loss and pain, and she ends up, At the end, even more forgiving as a beacon of hope and love on the other side. As a Messianic Jewish community, we often describe the story of scripture as God's relationship with Israel, with the Jewish people, and it is. However, the theme of the righteous woman and righteous man among the nations, the non-Israelite, runs throughout the scriptural narrative as well. The Bible especially loves to do this with the quote-unquote enemies of Israel. Have you ever noticed that? Highlighting especially the righteous Gentile woman in the story of the Jewish people's relationship with God. It's a really beautiful thing what the scripture does. Of course, modern history, including the medieval period, is full of anti-Jewish persecution by those who claimed, at least in name, to be Christian. But Corey ten Boom shows us that true Yeshua faith is a blessing to the Jewish people. Uh, And even the museum article acknowledges this to a certain degree, right? They have to because of the love of God that was in her. But not only that, true Yeshua faith blesses those that are different than us. It blesses those who look different, who act differently, who are perhaps a different age than us who have a different political leaning, who have different values. All of this comes together in this week's Parsha in which we have a mysterious unnamed woman who is the center of a conflict involving Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, three siblings. Here is how the scene might have gone down from Numbers 12, verses one through two. This is uh, Miriam over here, and this is Aaron. <coughs> hey, uh, hey Aaron. Did you hear about our uh, brother Moses? Hear what? I mean, uh, his wife. You know she's, you know, she's a, a Kushite. Yeah, totally. <laughs> What's that? You know, Ethiopian, she's African her skin is a different color, she's not an Israelite. Right, right, I knew that. But I thought, wait, I thought his wife was and isn't she from Midian? Haven't you read Habakkuk 3.7? I saw the tents of Kushan under calamity, the curtains of the land of Midian are trembling. No, I haven't read Habakkuk because it hasn't been written yet but i see that you are linking the cushites to the midianites because they're related in the scriptures and so that is perhaps why you're talking about moses's wife as a cushite or ethiopian bingo i'm not sure we should be making fun of moses's cushite wife and another thing i mean does god only speak through moses hasn't god also spoken through us yeah, I suppose. If you ask me, Moses isn't really qualified to be the sole leader on account of this wife thing and the account of how we're his equals. I mean, we're just as good as him. Yeah. And then I have a direction. I'm not sure how to act this out, but God is listening and frowning. So I don't, I can't act that out, but you can imagine that. Okay. And scene. Okay. <clears throat> So as you can see, I believe that the unnamed Cushite woman here, the wife of Moses, is Zipporah, uh, which is uh, who his wife is mentioned to be earlier. Uh, although there are some other theories, you know, that, that maybe Zipporah died, maybe he got divorced or something like that, but uh, this is what I think, based on that that other scripture that uh, that Miriam mentioned. Uh, but the main point is that Moses' wife is an outsider, right? It coincides with Miriam lifting herself up in pride. They kind of go together, right? It's that pride and that kind of um, a pr- pr- prideful look upon the outsider, upon the, the, the non-Israelite. Moses' wife, whether she's from Midian or Ethiopia, is presented favorably as a non-Israelite. She's the one who, uh, if you remember from Exodus, she preserves the Abrahamic covenant of circumcision and prevents uh, a death early in their marriage. It's kind of a a, a, a funny kind of passage, if you ever read it, in, in uh, Exodus 4. Um, but she's the one who perhaps also encourages her father, Jethro, to give good counsel to, to Moses about delegating. So she, she plays a very important role in the scriptures. But in this scene, in this week's Parsha, we're dealing with some kind of racism or harsh judgment, and we're dealing with pride. Uh, sometimes our first inclination toward folks that are different is judgment or resentment. This is kind of what we're seeing in Miriam. But Miriam and Aaron aren't just speaking against Moses' wife. They're also speaking against Moses himself. And sometimes that shows that our first inclination toward those that are elevated in some way is to be what? To be jealous. What about me, right? We think right? Why can't I do that? Why don't I have that, right? I should be in authority. I should have that honor that that other person has. Or maybe we turn inward, right? Why can't I be able to do that thing? This other person is gifted in this area. Why Why don't I have that, right? Why can't I be more like uh, this other person? This is kind of what we tend to think, you know? When I taught in Mississippi, uh, I had a colleague and friend named uh, Katie, Katie had perhaps the exact opposite personality and strengths as me. She was like a, an anti-David, um, but uh, she was very cool. She's a, a very strong uh, uh, Yeshua follower. And uh, I would go by her classroom and you know say, what are you, what are you doing? What are you working on? And she'd say, oh, this is a worksheet. You know, it's for three months from now. I'm just, you know, getting her. Right. I just love, you know, yeah, I just love making these things and being organized. And I'd be like, oh. you know, and I, I was trying to figure out what I was teaching the next day. And I was like, mm. and, uh, you know, I thought, you know, why can't I be organized like her? Why can't I be as, as disciplined? But the Lord showed me over time, you know, there were there were other strengths that I had. And particularly in, in relating to and, and motivating students, connecting with students. And uh, instead of spending all my time f- trying to figure out why I wasn't as good as her in this area, uh, I learned to, uh, over time, to appreciate how God had designed me with my strengths. And uh, also to learn, to learn from her. Because he, he made us colleagues, he made us friends, uh, and she's my sister in the Lord. You know, so she was able to encourage me with, with her strengths and vice versa fact is, no one is good at everything, right? So there's there's only one you, and therefore, if if God made you, he made you with your strengths and your flaws by design for, for his purpose. Um, and we can spend time wondering why we're not different, why we're not like the others. We can spend time being critical or jealous of others, or we can be like Zipporah, Moses' wife, and we can be like Moses. You see, Moses already went through. He processed his insecurities with God. Remember? He said, you know, I'm not, Lord, I'm not a good speaker, right? What if they don't believe me, right? Can't you just send somebody else? But he did that before the Lord. He spoke to the Lord face to face, and, and they worked it out. And eventually, out came this beautiful combination in Moses, Of what i would describe as humility and confidence it's very very rare it's very hard to strike that but it's 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 beautiful right he knew who he was and he knew that god was going to be faithful to deliver israel and that god was going to do it through him right here's the the kind of the whole story in numbers 12 without the uh you know (laughs) the imaginative uh wine version that I gave you earlier. So this is uh, from the scriptures. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses on account of the Cushite woman he married because he had married a Cushite woman. They asked, has Adonai spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Adonai heard it. That's what the scripture says. Now the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. Now I'm gonna make a pause here. Uh, So before we start to, you know, kind of think about this first, because, okay, wait, didn't Moses write the Torah? So is he writing about himself, right? But um, most scholars believe that the Torah had later editors, for example, Joshua, right? Who filled in details like this. And when Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy, obviously that's uh, someone else. So it's probably Joshua writing about that. Uh, So writing about your own humility, of course would not be very humble, right? It's like me mentioning that I won the humility award, you know, three years in a row. And of course I didn't accept, but uh, that's another story. Anyway, so let's continue and see what happens to Miriam and Moses, keeping in mind the true humility of Moses here. Immediately, Adonai said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, the three of you come out to the tent of meeting. So the three came out. Adonai descended in a column of cloud, stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting and called to Aaron and Miriam. The two of them stepped forward. This is a real uh, come to Yeshua moment, right? Hear now my words, he said, when there is a prophet of Adonai, I reveal myself in a vision, I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. In all my house, he is faithful. I speak with him face to face, plainly not in riddles. He even looks at the form of Adonai. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Adonai's anger burned against them and he left them. When the cloud lifted up from the tent, behold, Miriam had Sara'at, which is a, a skin disease, usually translated uh, leprosy, but it's probably not exactly that. Um, so her arm uh, was, had Sara'at, had the skin disease like snow. As Aaron turned toward her, behold, she had Sara'at. He said to Moses, please, my Lord, don't hold against us the sin we have committed so foolishly. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby who comes from his mother's womb with his flesh half eaten away. So Moses, what does Moses do? He cries to Adonai, saying, oh, God, heal her now. Isn't that beautiful? That's so beautiful. Adonai said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be in shame for seven days? Let her be confined outside the camp for seven days. After that, she may be brought back. So Miriam was restricted to outside the camp for seven days. The people did not move on until Miriam was brought back, which is in in Hebrew is shuvah, right? It's return, not just physically returning, but returning um, as repentance. Afterward, the people left uh, Hazarot and encamped in the wilderness of Paran. So we see that Moses is able to respond to criticism and uh, racism and pride. How does he respond? By praying for Miriam. I mean, it's a great standard for us, right? But it's, the thing is, it's anchored in, in humility and being comfortable with who God made us to be, right? He had the, both of those things really, really solid. Did God make you a certain way? Did he make you an introvert? right? Well, there's a reason for that. Maybe it means you're better at one-on-one conversations than, you know, a more outgoing person. Do you have difficulty focusing or sitting still? We call that spilkis in Yiddish, right? Maybe that makes you more passionate or more creative. Did God make you a Gentile? So was Corrie ten Boom. So was Moses's wife. So was Cornelius. So were the righteous women in the line of Messiah the line of messiah as listed in the genealogy in matthew chapter 1 rahab tamar ruth they were the righteous among the nations for a purpose god called them from the canaanites the midianites the moabites what are all these these are enemies of israel from these people groups come the righteous among the nations and they were all humble and confident think about ruth think about her humility and confidence in the lord right you can picture her right what bitterness are we harboring toward ourselves that we need to let go of what jealousy or judgment are we keeping toward others who are different that we need to let go of it's time right it's time to let go of that because God has created us in His image for a purpose as we are and for a calling as we are. He designed us, He made us. Right? And it's it's dependent on our being perfect? No. Is it dependent on you know our, our being good enough or being as good as someone else or like someone else? No. It's dependent on trusting. Trusting that God made us this way for a purpose. Trusting that God is faithful through our imperfections and walking boldly and humbly at the same time. So we need to allow him to affirm us. We need to bring our insecurities before him, just like Moses did, and allow God to transform us into the image of the Messiah. When we let go of these things, that empowers us to intercede. Remember what Moses did in response to this criticism and racism, he forgave. He chose to bless, especially those that are different. Moses responded to Miriam and Aaron with forgiveness and praying for them. Corey ten Boom tells a, a similar story uh, during one of her talks. This is after the war. And uh, here she also mentions, mentions Betsy, who was her sister who died in the camp. Quote, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt that clutched hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947. I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? but I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do for I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had 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 a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical, physical scars. Those who nursed bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And, I, and still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say it. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. There's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age. It's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw, draw them fresh from God each day. Unquote. Abba father, you have given us forgiveness the forgiveness of our sins against you. You have made us Jew and Gentile, male and female, different nations. You've created us in your image for a purpose. And in the scriptures, we see that your relationship with Israel hinges, is dependent upon the righteous among the nations, even from the enemies of Israel. And it's dependent upon our walking in boldness and walking in humility. And it's dependent upon your faithfulness, Lord, and your forgiveness of us. Help us, Lord, to walk in humility, to walk in forgiveness, to not be like Miriam in this episode, but to be like Miriam in other episodes where she's leading others and praising you. Help us to look with love upon those that are different from us, and those, maybe even those that have hurt us, um, our quote-unquote enemies, and to, to pray for them and bless them. Help us to be secure in who we are, who you've made us to be, and humble, and knowing that you will have your way and that you are sovereign, you are a good king and a good father over us. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.